Welcome to the Driving Test Podcast. I am your host, Terry Cook of TC Drive, and I am here as your guide on your journey to passing your driving test and beyond. That's right, also to help you on all those wonderful adventures that you're going to go on after you have passed your driving test. And today, we are tackling the second half of the top 10 reasons people fail the driving test. That's right, numbers five to one. And I'm joined by the lovely Joe Wilson, who is giving some wonderful advice and some best practice ideas that we can take away and you can hopefully use to avoid making those mistakes on your driving test and making those mistakes once you've passed. But just before we get into that, I just want to give you a little nudge to go and click subscribe wherever you're listening. Go and click subscribe so these drop into your feed straight away whenever we release a new episode. And if there's any more resources you want, head over to the website, tcdrive.co.uk. Over there, you can find additional resources and blogs and other podcasts, all that kind of cool stuff. Head over there for any additional resources. But for now, let's get stuck into the show. So today, we are joined by Joe Wilson. How are we doing, Joe? Hi. Oh, that was a, a meek high. <laughs> well, hey, if you talk that quietly. I just wanted you to say something about, um, I'm all the better for seeing your lovely face. <laughs> well, you need to ask me that first. But yes, thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. I'm all the better for seeing your smiley face. Um, but uh, let, let's kick off by asking you to tell us a little bit about you and about your driving school, sort of where you're based as well. I am Joe Wilson. I have been a driving instructor for about three years. We're based in and around Southampton, Winchester, um, or Eastleigh, all those sort of areas. And yeah, I'm on the podcast to talk about what we're going to talk about. Excellent. Well, anyone listening to last week would have heard us cover the the, the sort of 10 to 6 in the, the top 10 reasons why people fail the test, as reported by the DVSA at least. Um, and, and whilst I don't like being particularly fault-focused, I think that a lot of people will be aware of those faults and be keen to find out what they actually are. Uh, so I think the first question I want to ask you, because I asked Andy this uh, last week, so Regarding these faults and the reason why people fail, so whether it's through, you know, moving off safely or position or anything like that, do you think a lot of the time it is like the specific fault or do you think sometimes there's an underlying cause or what do you think? The, the Is there a bigger reason, do you think? I think nerves really come into it. And however much we can practice with mock tests, I think the... The seriousness of the day um, can can get to pupils, and yes, I, I've had pupils that have failed for all these these reasons. Um, have they made those mistakes in the weeks leading up to that test? Probably not. Do they make them on the test? Yeah, sometimes. That's not to say that they're failing for these these reasons, but they are picking driving faults up to these reasons. And I believe that, that, yeah, I think it's the nerves. I think that definitely plays a big part. I mean, I, I must admit, I chuckled slightly then when you said about, uh, you know, you've had students that have, have either failed or maybe picked up faults in all these areas. And it, it made me chuckle because I had a test a few weeks ago and we were talking about undue hesitation and how that, that seems to be a lot uh, on a lot of students' minds, undue hesitation, even though like, I never see anyone fail for it. I remember saying to her, I've never had a student fail for undue hesitation. 
And I can't even remember ever getting a driver fault. And I guess what you failed on. <laughs> But that was your fault. <laughs> that was my fault. I, I jinxed it clearly. Um, I'll know not to say that again now. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting the, the, the what people think the problem is and what the actual problem is. So it might be able to dive into that on another episode at some point. So like, let's take a look at these then. So we're going from five to one. So the fifth most common reason why people fail a driving test is control steering. So control steering. So what are your sort of initial thoughts and observations around control and steering? So control or steering, in my words, that means to me not having proper control of the steering. And we must be in control of the car at all times and the steering must be as, as smooth as possible. If you go on the DVSA website, they give you some pointers on where the faults are coming from particularly. The first one that they mention is turning left at a giveaway line. So your car should be positioned pointing the way you are going. And if possible, leaving enough room for others that are turning right out of the same junction to also have space. So we have approached the junction at the correct speed. We have steered the car in the correct position facing the way we are going. That leads on to driving around bends. We should remain in the centre of our lane. Um, and I get my guys to look as far around the corner as possible. So um, we're not focusing in the gutter. We're not focusing on the centre line. We are just staying in the, 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 the centre of our lane. Leading on from that, when we're turning right into a minor road, so we're in a major road waiting to turn right, our timing and amount of steering should keep us on our side of the road. Top tip. Um, I get my guys to imagine that there's a bus coming out of the road that we are turning into. So it's more of an angle into the road and not a bend. And choose your speed and your gear wisely. Um, they also, on the DVSA website, mention mounting the pavement when pulling up on the left. We can set reference points for that. I'm not a massive reference point setter. But I use it, I use actually that myself. So if I'm using it myself, I do that, I do pass that one on to my pupils. So set a reference point of where the curb disappears under the front of the bonnet somewhere, obviously checking those as well. We don't want to be mounting the, the pavement. And a really nice one to be working on is gliding around parked cars, giving yourself loads of time. Or if you are in a meeting situation and creeping up to a parked car, then um, give yourself a bit of a run up to go around. So we are controlling the car around the parked car and not just sailing. Now, all my top tips on control. Well, I think there's some good shouts there. I think that... Um... I especially like when it's what it kicked off when you first said about, you know, having full control of the car at all times. I think to me, that's the overriding thing because a lot of the stuff you've mentioned there could result in a a driver fault or a serious fault or a dangerous fault or, you know, a not worthy fault or anywhere in between. So I think that keeping control of the car, and I think with this one, I wanted to make a specific point about 
something I seem to see online quite a lot around TikTok and Reels and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, please, if you watch TikTok, I'm not telling you not to, to use that. There's some great resource on there. But I see a lot of driving schools talking about how you do not have to have your hands, both hands on the wheel, and then they'll sort of demonstrate having one hand on gear stick and one hand on wheel and try to look right, you know, like a hip-hop star or something. And it's like... <laughs> I get it. You don't have to. You can literally drive your entire test one-handed as long as you've got control of the car. But my big take on that is what's going to give you the most control of the car? Having two hands on the wheel, ideally around sort of a 210 position or a 9-3 position, that's going to give you the most control. And if we even step back a bit further and just go, what's the safest option? One hand on the wheel or two? Well, the answer's two. So, yes, you might not technically have to have both hands on the wheel, but A, you're more likely to lose control of the car if you don't have both hands on, and B, you're safe if you've got both hands on. So I think that that's one I wanted to throw out there as well. Is that something you would uh, agree with, Joe? do you think? Absolutely. I had the exact same conversation with the people today. She was worried about taking her hand off the wheel She's very new and she was worried about taking her hand off the wheel to change gear. And she was choosing when she was going to do that. We had to go quite a long way in first gear before she was comfortable enough to take her hand off the wheel. But you know what? She was in control of the car. Ultimately, that's what we're here for. Right. Well, let's move on then. So that's number five. Let's have a look at number four. Uh, junctions turning right now there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with junctions turning right so obviously we're not going to cover them all so have you got any sort of key ones for junctions turning right so um in my words that to me means incorrect positioning when turning right at junctions i had a people a couple of days ago we were waiting to turn right into a junction and we hadn't quite positioned ourselves as far over to the right of our lane as we perhaps could have done. So then the cars behind us, even though the road that we were in was quite wide, they couldn't, the people that were behind us that were following the road ahead couldn't get round us, resulting in beep, 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 and cross people behind us. Had we just exited the junction and got past it and we stopped and, and talked about um you know, what the people behind us were beeping at. And, and the the people said, um, if only I'd just moved myself over to the right just a wee bit more, those guys behind me could have got past. Um, and I think that's those sort of things. That's the sort of thing that the, the DBSA are looking for, that you've, you've planned ahead. You can see that the road is wide enough for two people to get through. Position yourself so far over safely obviously we don't want to be over the line but as close to that line as possible and um and drive on man when it's safe resulting in everybody else that can go follow the road ahead that they that they can do i think you're right i think that that's that's a key one of them but i think that can be broadened out into a lot of different aspects of that so you know it's if there's a protected area in the, the middle of the road and you you don't go into it properly, you know, or you go into it too far and then you've got the horrible turn afterwards or, um, you know, I think anything turning right, I think there's all kinds of things that can be incorporated into that. I think the the thing that interests for me here is is why that occurs, you know, specifically junctions turning right. And, and my take on this, and I'd be interested to see if you agree with this, my take on this is there's a slight different pressure turning right because you just mentioned there about, you know, you shouldn't have it to stop. 
that stopping immediately puts a pressure on because you've got to go again. Whereas when you're turning left, you know, 99% of the time you don't have to stop. You can just carry on round. Yeah. Um, but when you're turning right, you often you have to stop and you're waiting for traffic and, and you'll see the student almost more concerned about the cars behind them the cars coming towards them mm -hmm. and i'll have this discussion a lot because we'll talk about it and they'll say i'm worried i'm holding the cars up behind i'm like you're not it's a queue you can't yeah. go yet you know if you were at red light it would be the same queue you know yeah. you can't go because you would crash if you went now and i think that that idea of turning right like that i think there's a lot more stress around it so how would you or how do you get your your students to you know reduce that stress and build the confidence up because for me it's just about practice mainly you know the repetition of it is that something you do have you got something else you use or um i do say to pupils a lot actually it's not us bunging up the cars behind it's the oncoming vehicles that are getting in our way that's who's bunging up all the people behind um it's all lots of my guys you know they they all because we've got a big L on the top of our car, they almost feel like they're not so entitled to be there. And I say, I pay my road tax. I pay more in fuel tax than all of them put together. So absolutely, we are more than entitled to be here. So if we can't go, we can't go. The most important thing is that we're not endangering other people by going when it's not safe to go. If we have to wait, we have to wait. Terry, I don't know if this would cover, you might be able to help me. This might, does this cover turning right at traffic lights and waiting in sort of that no man's land? Do you think that would be this fault? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, it's, it's turning right at traffic lights. So I suppose yeah. it could, depends on the fault because there will be some faults that are relative to the light and there'll be some yeah. faults that are relative to the junction. So, for example, I would imagine that if you get a green filter arrow, comes up and you don't go yeah. that's going to be a, a mark down in terms of relative to the light but yeah. if you get for example as we've said the you know in, you know not positioning correctly or you know even try to turn in front of an oncoming car for example i've had that on a test before now then you know that would be the result of the junction i think actually that's a really good point to to raise here and add this in that that we're not examiners you know, we're not trained as examiners. What we're doing is we're breaking down the information we've been given from the DBSA and from the conversations we have with examiners and from what we see in the car and try to interpret this as best we can. But so much of this stuff is situational. Yeah. You know, I, I had a, well, I won't go into the details of the test, but I've had tests where a student could have failed for two things, but the examiner has chosen one and not marked them down for both faults because... You know, if you, I would imagine, I try to think of the exact scenario. I think if I recall, she'd stalled pulling out of a junction. Yeah. And I can't remember which way the examiner marked it, but when she'd stalled pulling out of junction, she'd then wound up blocking off the road. Mm -hmm. And he didn't give her the fault for the stall and the blocking off the road. He only gave her the fault for one of them. Yeah. Whereas in theory, I suppose they could have given both, but he's gone, well, actually, one has led to the other. So it's... Yes. Yeah two faults merged into one rather than two separate. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really good point, to, kind of point to mention that we're doing our best to break this down uh, from our experience and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, good question, Joe. <laughs> Love a question. Um, okay, let's move on to number three because uh, this is moving off safely. And this is one that, and I'm going to use this word and I'm going to apologise to you, is it? I'm going to use it anyway. Always amuses me. 
moving off safely because what what's the one thing that we're going to do pretty much every single lesson it's move off you know the the thing that in theory we should practice more than anything else should be moving yeah. off but moving off safely is always in the top 10. It's, in fact, it's almost always in the top five reasons people fail a driving test. Yep. There should never, in my opinion, be a reason why someone doesn't move off safely from the side of the road. But there is, clearly. So what are, what are your thoughts on this one? Because, again, we think of moving off safely, and I'll just touch on this briefly. Really, it's all about observation. Is it safe to move off, yes or no? The only way we know that it's safe to move off is if we check. So yeah. if we don't check, then we don't know it's safe to go. Or if we do check and we miss something, then we're not moving off safely. Or if we do check and we see something to come in and we move on it, if anyway, we're not moving off safely. So this one always confuses me a little bit. What are your thoughts on this one? Going back to the what you said about um, we move off at the beginning of every single lesson. And, and perhaps that's the problem. We're only moving off at the beginning of a lesson driving around for an hour and a half or two hours and then and then stopping again. This is assuming that they're talking about moving off from the side of the road from a, a parked position and not moving off in traffic. Yeah, no, it's from um, the side of the road on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so to get your get your um driving instructors to get them to make me stop. So I just keep have to keep practicing that that moving off again. And keeping to get in the habit of is it safe for me to move this car? And until I know that it's safe to move this car, this car's going to stay here. Um, the people that I had uh, this morning, um, I mentioned her earlier. She's um, very very new, and we I lost count how many times we moved off and stopped the car. All of which my responsibility. I'm the one was that was looking to make sure it was safe, but. As they, as pupils get on through their learning journey, we stop even less. So it's we almost lose that skill of um, of stopping. Um, sorry, of moving off. We have to know that it's safe before we move off, um, and that means all round observations, and particularly the blind spots. When I'm first getting my guys to learn about mirrors, I I get out of the car and I put myself in their blind spot so they can they can see they can see that they can't see me and i walk walk towards them and i go yeah i can see you i'm looking in all my mirrors yeah i can see you no i can't see you and that's who you're looking for before you you before you move off there's other blind spots too you know from our um pillars at the front of the car and and blind spots on on the on the left but um yeah that that right blind spot, you have to have checked it. I agree with that. And and again, I go back to the first point you make, which I think I I get a lot. It's that think that, uh, uh, and again, I'm not meaning to criticise anyone else here, but a lot of instructors don't have people moving off. Like you said, you'll you'll do it until you can do it, and then you spend an hour, two hours driving around, whatever, and yeah. you come for your test and you've only moved off seven times over the last seven lessons. In the last seven lessons, yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you know you'd only done seven right turns in those last yeah. seven lessons, you wouldn't you wouldn't feel the same. So yeah. I think that for the learners listening, you know, ask to as you said, uh, and I completely agree, ask to practice. You know, 
don't just practice until you go out there and never do it again. Ask to practice. Uh, yeah. One of the things uh, I'm, I'm sure you do as well, Joe, is we, we talk about the stuff we've done. So, you know, maybe we go and practice, for example, five left turns in a row, and then we, we pull up afterwards and talk about that. But what are you doing every time you pull up and set off again? You're practicing really? pulling up and setting off. Even if you're not yes. doing it for that reason, you're still doing it. So I think that I think you're 100% right there. And again, maybe I shouldn't use the word, but I'm always slightly amused to see this in there because check it safe, tell people what you're doing, and then do it. it yeah. it's, it it's not, I don't try to say it's easy, but the checking aspect well, that, that's all you're doing, checking it's safe. And if you don't know if it's safe to go, you shouldn't be going. But that does actually kind of tie into the, the next one, number two, which is uh, checking your mirrors when changing direction. Again, these are quite simple in terms of the fault. You need to know it's safe before you change direction. If you don't know it's safe, how can you change direction? Yeah, exactly. Um, and this one, I think, is not just about changing direction you know, physically turning left or turning right, it's changing lanes as well. Um, so yeah, we have to know what's how we are going to affect, if any, if anyone, um, our change of direction, whether that's yeah, a sharp left, sharp right, sharp right, or a changing of um, our road position, even. So for going round parked things, um, you know, check check that, that right mirror as you on a middle mirror on approach to the whatever we're going around. Make sure it make sure it's safe. Um, I think they're quite specific as well about roundabouts. Lots of um, lots of information on the DPSA website about that. Um, check it, checking um, your mirrors on roundabouts when you're changing lanes um, from the tomato to the cross. I don't know if you. Know about the tomato crust? No, I haven't, but I'm keen to know now. <laughs> um, it's yeah. So the, the the roundabout is a pizza, and the outside of the pizza is the crust, and the middle bit is the is the tomatoey bit. I'm useless with my left and right, so left and right lanes uh, are tricky for me. Um, so like lots of hand gestures with my pupils, but also. When we're, so if we're changing lanes from the tomato lane out to the cross lane, then um, we need to know before we change lane, who's there? Who are we going to squash? Who might squash us? Um, is there anyone alongside us? Is there anyone on their way to being on alongside us? We need to know who's there. It's got to be safe. I mean, I like that analogy, but I think I would wind up getting distracted thinking about pizza. Um, <laughs> that might not work for me. Um, but um, the only thing I want to say on this as well, and I'm trying not to make this into a I do this, so you should do this type of thing, but I think it's worth mentioning on here because I've had this conversation a few times recently. I rarely even talk about mirrors on lessons. I ask That's students, is it safe? Yeah. And then the, the student or the learner will have to work out where do I need to look to make sure it's safe? And I think that by, so if you're listening to this now as a learner, by you thinking, where do I need to look to make sure it's safe? So let's, as you, the example you give is changing lanes. Where do you need to look? Well, you need to make sure no one's at side of you and no one's sort of in, you know, behind you, if, if you like. You yeah. example before of your mirrors and your blind spot. Well, I don't need to say that. 
then you'll just look that way. And I think that taking a bit of ownership of that, of where do I need to look to make sure it's safe, reduces that massively. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that's the only thing I'd add on there. Just I'm not saying don't mention mirrors. I'm not saying don't look in your mirrors. I'm saying think of it as, is it safe to do the thing yeah. I want to do? And that's yeah. going to force you to check. I'm going to have a look. Then I'll tell everybody do it, that I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to do it. If exactly. It's Yep. Uh, and then we move on to the number one that reason that people fail a driving test, observations at junctions. Uh, before I come to you on this one, I'm going to give uh, my example of the single most common thing I see people do, not on a test, admittedly, but on lessons uh, that we then have a big discussion about. If you imagine a, a giveaway, so a T-junction where we're turning left, we come to the giveaway, we stop waiting for traffic, and the student will just be looking right. That's yeah. it. And then they go to pull out and you could miss someone crossing the road. You could miss a car that's parked. You, there's so much information. You could look yeah. that way. And um, that's the most common one that I see. Is there anything else you see around this one? No, that's, yeah, that's the, the most common one. Um, like you said, we could be missing um, pedestrians. We could be missing um, something that we've got to go around. We could be missing something that's something oncoming that's now on our side of the road because they're having to go around something. Yeah, I think that's probably my biggest one um, that I that I see and have lots of conversations um, with my guys about. Um, I think this one also covers um, the judgment of when to go and when not to go. Um, I think this this is under that umbrella as well. And you know, I have long conversations about this with my pupils and why, not why, but how you come into that decision you know what are you taking into consideration when you're deciding whether to go or not um you know they come up with lovely reasons like their speed um the state of the road um, what type of vehicle it is are we are we taking off into a 60 mile an hour limit road or or 20 you know all those things but um yeah have conversations like that with your with your driving instructor to to get you thinking about, oh, yeah, there's a gap, I'm going to go. But if it means that you've gone and the car that you pulled out on has got to slow down or stop um, or swerve around you or something, yeah, you're going to start picking up faults. And that, that might be a, a driver fault or it might be a serious or even a dangerous. Um, yeah, have those conversations with your with your driving instructor. Agree completely. And I think the last thing I want to mention around this, unless you've got anything to add, Joe, just I do find it interesting those top three are all observation based. So you've got your moving off yeah. safely, you've got your uh, mirrors changing direction, you've got your observations at junctions. And if you're anything like me, the, the things that like the learners listening, them seem to be more concerned about, and, and, and rightly so in some aspects, is getting it in the bay, is stalling undue hesitation but they rarely crop up in in these lists it's all about observations and yeah. i think some of that falls back on that pressure we spoke about before with a turning right you don't have to go in the tiniest yeah. gap possible you go right. in the appropriate gap that's safe and if you miss a gap guess what it's not end of world go take the next one yeah because if you and give me a choice do you want to pull my car out in front of a truck or you know yeah. try and squeeze out or do you want to you know accidentally miss one space i know which one i'm choosing yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I a few weeks ago, I had a pupil, she passed. She had a couple of driving faults for um, hesitation. And I said 
take it, take it and run with it because you've passed your test. Um, and the examiner commented, you know, he commented and said, it's a beautiful drive. She just needs to work on that hesitation. Um, and on the way home, we just said, yeah, but you haven't pulled out on anybody. You haven't pulled, you haven't put anyone in any danger. She didn't miss loads of gaps. She might have missed one or two. Um, but on the whole, her driving was safe. And an examiner is looking for safety. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be pretty. It does have to be safe. Um, and ultimately, that's that's what we're aiming for. Safe, safe, safe. Like it. Safe, safe, safe. Uh, anything else you want to touch on with these faults before we move on? Nope. Cool. So for the listeners, we like to bust uh, some test myths. I say bust, potentially it might wind up being true. Uh, but look, take a look, <laughs> shall we say, at these test myths. So it's my favourite bit of the show. What test myth are you bringing for us to look at today? So I asked a pupil. He passed his test last week. And I said, I texted him yesterday and said, if you had to if you if you had a belief before your test that was busted on the test what would it be and he said that he was worried that not sitting next to me um he was able to get some private practice but not a lot um but he was worried about not sitting next to me um with me just being there to help him if if he needed it um he chose for me not to be in the back um, so I, I didn't, um, I wasn't even there just to, to watch. I wasn't there to, um, to, to support him um, from the back seat. He wanted to do it on, on, all on his own, which was great. Um, and he said, actually, although he was really worried about that, that I wasn't going to be there, it was fine. And that he had, we had spoken about it before and he was he just held in his, in his head. It's just another lesson pass or fail it's just another learning opportunity um so actually that's my myth my myth buster it's it's just another lesson and it's it's okay like it uh, i do want to touch on one thing though because uh just because how you phrase something there i want to make sure no one gets confused because you spoke about uh, supporting them from the back seat now i know what you mean by that moral yes. support but just for anyone listening moral. um your instructor's not allowed to sit in the back seat giving you help um, no. they're not even Morse code they can't tap on your shoulder <laughs> when you've got a check in mirrors or anything like that um, but we are allowed to sit in the back uh, and some people like that because as I think you touched on it can be a bit of a mo- uh, almost like a morale boost a bit of emotional support even though we can't be involved I think other people like it because they feel like if the examiner uh, see something and they disagree they've got a second set of eyes they can fall back on but I think most people like that almost like emotional support but um, interesting myth. So your student was was sort of really worried that not having you there was going to have a massive impact, and they turned yeah. out not to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, take it personally. <laughs> well, I must admit, I, I've come across that a few times, and um, I don't think I've ever had anyone struggle because I'm not there. Uh, I think I've had a couple of people struggle when I have been sat in the back, and they've wanted me sat in the back, and then halfway through they've changed their mind. I mean, they can't kick me out. <laughs> But after the test, I've said, I kept looking in my mirror and I know you were trying to hide, but I could see you. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Okay, cool. So I like that. uh, So anyone with your test coming up, I would would, uh, back that up and just say that 
you do not need your instructor with you. Uh, your instructor should have been essentially just giving you directions for the lessons before you test because you should be able to do it by yourself. So therefore, you do not need an instructor with you because the examiner, all they will be doing is giving you directions as well. That's it. So let's move on to the next one then. Are you going to leave the listeners with a top tip that they can take to their driving test to help them pass? I am. And I'm going to say speed is your friend. So, and I don't just mean fast speed. Sometimes it's appropriate to be um, to be driving at an appropriate speed, yes. But speed is your friend. And by that I mean slow, slow movements when um, parking, um, slow and steady around tight corners. Um, we don't have, yes, it's important to make progress when it's said to do so, but that slow, slow speeds can be your friend. They can um, make you feel in control of the car. And who doesn't want to be in control of the car? I very much endorse that tip and I use my favorite word when it comes to speed which is appropriate um yeah. i i see so often people panicking because they're doing 25 in a fair like no this is the appropriate speed in this zone in this bit of road you are doing i don't care about the number right now i say that a lot i do not care about the number yeah you're going at the appropriate speed so if someone stepped out you could stop that's fine i'm happy with that um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Speed is your friend, uh, and sometimes going slow is a good thing. Uh, yeah. So let's move on then, and uh, let's take a look at the test center. So which test center are we covering today? I currently use three test centers. Um, one of which I've only had one test, but um, I've got another couple um, coming up. But my main one is Winchester in in Hampshire. Um, it's quite a small test centre and by that I mean there's I think four or five examiners that go out at once um, assuming that everybody's turned up for their test. Um, the the car park even though the, the test centre is actually quite small um, the car park is nice actually we there's room for um, lots of room for parking um, reversing into spaces um, it's it's yeah, it's um, there's lots of room. It does as you as you exit the car park. Um, it does cross a pavement, so um, we do have to be careful with that one. Um, Winchester, in general, is hilly, very very hilly. It's an old old city, so there's lots of tight, windy, hilly roads. Um, one particular beauty is um, a very tight road opens up to quite a wide opening but it's very steep and there's a stop sign at the top of it um, which is uh, which is a treat and they yeah they do like to throw that one in so if you're in the Winchester area practice 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 um, if you can control your car on that hill at that stop sign you can control your car anywhere um, with regards to the other areas there's lots of Busy areas, but then there's also lots of nice wide open um, areas for lots of lovely pulling up on the left and um, in a safe and convenient place. Um, but yeah, mainly hilly, hilly, hilly. Is there uh, many high speed roads around? Have you got some 16, 70s? Or? Uh, we do. Um, there's the main A34. I haven't actually heard of people um, go on that one. 
but it's definitely something that we that we practice um it's it's a lovely road it's, it's effectively just like a motorway really but um but not so yes lots of high-speed roads too Awesome. Uh, and last question, and, and be as honest with this as you deem fit. Uh, what are the examiners like? They are human, but they, on the whole, friendly. And um, I think, and I always ask my pupils, "How is the examiner?" If obviously, if I was there, then I don't need to. But um, if I if I haven't been invited in to um, to more morally support the people. Um, I, you know, I always say, how how did you find the examiner? And on the whole, all my guys say they were fine. Um, they were a little bit chatty, but not so chatty that they put me off. So they're professional. They're professional. But and they're great at a really thorough debrief at the end. Um, so even the smallest driver fault, unless there's lots of faults, um, but even the smallest smallest driver fault, they'll they'll explain and because, um, as um, Ethan passed the other day, said it's just another learning opportunity. Oh, I like it. Another learning opportunity. We like those. Okay. Um, on the whole, would you recommend Winchester oh, as a testament? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Excellent. Uh, cool. So, uh, anything else you want to touch on today before we before we disappear? Do you think? No, don't think so. All done. In which case, you want to take a moment just to tell people where they can find you if they want to come for driving lessons or anything like that? Um, I'm Jo Wilson, and I am based in Winchester, Southampton, Leon Solent now as well. And my USP is the dog is in the boot, little Winnie. He comes in all my lessons with me. I will be down for lessons shortly. <laughs> Um, no, thank you for joining us today, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.